Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. Over on the Mother Show, the Mothership Show, the real show, the one that Tompkins is not allowed on, we are working on the year 1985. And so Tompkins gave me $50 to start a spinoff show just about the horror of 1985 because there is so much of it. Tonight's movie is Fright Night. It is the second biggest blockbuster horror movie of 85. It's about vampires and probably, I think we'll decide throughout the course of the show, nothing else. My name is Ryan and I will be your host for the evening. And the challenger tonight, the big special guest... Sam Weinman is here. Sam, how are you? I'm doing all right. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Why are you here? And like, uh, I should have asked that nicer. Um, why? Like, what makes you think that like you can just come on to a uh, movie about vampires and uh, queerness in 1985 and think that like, oh yeah, I can talk about this? Well, I probably know more about it than you do. So I think <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's a that's competition a show, and I'm in control of the points, so I will give myself a lot of points. Fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am a queer horror director. Um, I write and direct queer horror films, and right now I'm directing a film uh, for Shutter, and it's the follow-up to Horror Noir. That was about black representation in horror, and this is about queer representation. So uh, this is my uh, this is my specialty. Have you found it hard to, like, find examples in the history of horror film about, like, queer stuff? Uh, no. No, <laughs> That's not like, at I all. mean, this is my whole, this is, this is like, I, I mean, you look at Nosferatu and, and that director was queer. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I mean, it starts at the very beginning. And uh, we've been there all along. Uh, and so that's what it's about. Is, yeah, I is... feel like... I have a have you found that horror like do you have like a long relationship with horror movies was this something you're into as like a, a teen um I I watched my first horror movie when I was like five I was super wow. into slashers because I would like sneak the tapes like tape them off the tv and watch them at night yeah and I was super into tales from the crypt um and so yeah I've been obsessed with horror since I was a kid um I wasn't good at a lot of stuff that other guys were so like you know, like sports and I don't know, sports. And so with horror, it's like if I could sit through a horror movie and be brave enough to do that, then I had everybody else beat. So for me, it was like kind of a superpower, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, also, I, Tompkins is here. Yeah. I, I, I'll be the host tonight. And also Tompkins is here. Yep. I'm here. Um, I am straight and don't know much about horror. So I'm very excited to talk over Sam all night. Um. <laughs> well, it'll be like every meeting I've taken since I moved to LA. <laughs> Got a lot of opinions, though. Uh, I, yeah, I think that most of our guests, uh, if not being gay, have been women, and Tompkins has been talking over them the entire time, so this should mm-hmm. be no problem for him. Uh, but know. yeah, like uh, every time I you know, do a deep dive into horror, whether it's a particular year or subgenre of horror, it becomes clear of like how awesome it is to... Oh, I can't tell my story. I have to bury it in, in in some like you know accepted genre, and then I will tell it. And the people who I'm telling my story to will get it, but then everybody else will be like, "Oh, that was that was scary and a horror movie." Exactly, and that's been happening for so long. I mean, Frankenstein, Bride <laughs> of Frankenstein, James Whale. I mean, was hiding these things in there, and uh, yeah, every decade we've got different examples. And Fright Night is uh, 
Well, we'll get into it. So <laughs> we are definitely going to get into it. It would be so weird to invite Sam onto the show and not get into it a little bit. But just, guys, overall as a movie, right, just as like an 85 horror flick, what do we think? How did Fright Night do? I, I enjoyed this a lot. Um, I, I also, like, this movie has such a, like, head start for me because after the train wreck that was uh, Part 5, New Beginning. Um, My goodness. Yeah. To to watch a movie that is at least competent, and I think this is, this is more than competent, and that is, like, kind of taking pot shots at slashers is such a, a breath of fresh air. I, I had a great time during this. <laughs> Sam, what do you think of the movie overall? Um, it's good. I mean, it's not my favorite, but uh, because I, I have to stand up for slashers, I stand slashers, and then you said that, and now I'm like, <laughs> okay, my, my like nine was like, and now it's a seven. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it stands up. You know, it's funny. I didn't like it growing up, and upon a rewatch as an adult, it's fire. I love it. Yeah. It is weird. Like, I'm not sure if it's for adults who have such lonely lives that they have to rewatch movies in order to do a podcast, or for kids who are, like, trying to sneak that horror movie in when their parents are asleep. Like, it does sort of, like, blend those two things. In a but, very 80s way. Yeah. And, yeah, like, oh, no, like, we want to be this, but we want to be another thing. And then yeah. that's what I think that we're going to argue tonight is, like, was it successful at all of the stuff it attempted at the exact same time? But, mm. Sam, you said that you were a uh, slasher fan. Have you seen oh. Friday the 13th 5, A New Beginning? Uh, yeah, that's my least favorite Friday the 13th. Okay, I think it's my <laughs> least favorite movie of all time. It's wait, I'm sorry, what? I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a movie worse than that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually, it, I'm wearing a Jason X t-shirt right now. Uh, part 10 oh, is, hell yeah. Like, if I'm going to go bad... <laughs> on on a slasher then i want that kind of bad i want it so so bad it's good like over the top camp but i don't want boring and friday 13th part five is just boring i yeah. couldn't believe how torture it, it like it, like it, even in like a full theater the, yeah. the crowd would be like let's it's, go see something else this is stupid mm-hmm. it's like edging because if it was any worse it would start to get like so bad it's good but it hovers just above that the whole time yeah it's a trudge <laughs> all right Let's be done with A New Beginning forever, please. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into it. This is a competition show, so Tompkins, Sam, you guys will be competing against each other for uh, your knowledge of the movie and my affection. So if you didn't watch the movie, just compliment me and you will get points. Uh, when we come back, Fright Night. <laughs> In the summer of 1985, Columbia Pictures snuck a tiny $7 million picture that nobody had any hope for called Fright Night into the theaters. It went on to gross $30 million, become the second biggest horror movie of the year behind next week's Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and a cult favorite, spawning sequels, 
remakes, documentaries, comic books, and an Amiga computer game where you play as Jerry Dandridge running around the mansion punching half statues with boobs hanging out, or as I call them, busts. The movie tells the story of Charlie Brewster, a neighbor, uh, I'm sorry, a horror fan whose movie knowledge leads him to believe that his neighbor is a vampire. Eventually, Charlie has no choice but to call on Peter Vincent, a late-night movie host and horror movie actor, to help him get the vampire. Along with Evil Ed and Marcy Darcy, Charlie is able to stop the terrifyingly named Jerry Dandridge and save the neighborhood. At one point early on in Fright Night, Peter Vincent, the horror actor-turned-TV show host played by Roddy McDowell, uh, he bemoans the end of an era, saying that bullshit teenagers like the main character only care about horror movies that have demented men and hockey masks murdering former virgins. Does Fright Night put its money where its mouth is and bring back a sense of old-school horror in the middle of the 80s? Or do you guys think it's just delivering the same trash it's making fun of? I think it. I think it. I think it definitely delivers. It's it's a very fun movie. It's very fun in a way that is distinctly different from slasher movies, um, and I can also see how even if you love slasher movies, this period in time might be a point where you're like a little inundated with that. Um, and going going back to something like a little bit more old school, I think, is uh, a neat move here. So you're, are, you're saying that like people who are getting uh, Friday the 13th every two months might take a little <laughs> break from that? <laughs> yeah. Never. Especially to the degree, like we talked about it in, I hate how much. It's, it's, it's such a bad movie that it's going to leak into every other podcast we do for eternity, but... Uh, we talked about it in that, like, it, it becomes, like, very soulless and rote, and you're just watching this, like, series of murders um, with no real suspense even. It, it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And I do think that this movie, uh, it kind of takes, like, a more 80s uh, sense of, like, horror. Like, there's there's some really good horror stuff in here, but it also brings, like, a more old-school, um, like you know, black and white movie monster, like, fun back to it. Well, let, let, let's show the work on that one. Like, where do you guys see the uh, old school, universal, this is this is somebody who has, uh, like, had his horror movie education? So I actually disagree. Um, hmm. I think that it's, I where I see that perspective, it's just I think it's actually doing something really fresh that hasn't been done before. It's It's really negating what happened with the old school vampires because you've got, like, when you look at Nosferatu or or, uh, or Dracula, they're not exactly sexy. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. then you hit the <laughs> 1970s and you have all these lesbian vampires who are just like, um, you know, beautiful women who just want to bite each other's necks and then kiss. Um, not always in that order. And then when you hit the 1980s, we have the birth of like a new kind of vampire. And he's like hot. And he's... Uh, you're not supposed to hang out with him, and your mom's going to warn you about him. And that literally happens. In or this try to fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> or both. <laughs> that was a legitimate question for me at one point. I was like, is the vampire going to have sex with his mom? To <laughs> Which it, it, it's the same thing in The Lost Boys. Like, yeah. uh, Diane Weiss is like, oh, man, this, yeah, this guy. I don't care if he's a vampire. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> like, 
those old school vibes, I'm feeling them now because it's like this is definitely mm-hmm. like an 80s, like a mid 80s horror film that's not a slasher. I mean, it feels very of its time. And it does have the nod to the old school horror because of the host. But actually, I just I think that in in acknowledging it, in being smart about it, it, it just is something different. It's something kind of new. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, because why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, um, but yeah, it, 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 the horror elements themselves don't feel retro or anything, but it's surrounded by like a sense of nostalgia that the, yeah, um, Peter, uh, how am I, God, I'm so fucking bad with names. The other guy, Pumpkin. the old guy, Peter Pumpkin Vincent. Eater. Yeah. Peter Vincent Pumpkin Eater uh, brings to it, and they have, like, those clips. Like, one of the first scenes you see is just, it's so, like, beautifully done. It's just this little, like, throwaway joke as you're seeing the old Peter Vincent movie. And when he does, you know, where he's like, and now I kill the vampire. He's holding the stake backwards in the shot, <laughs> and it just has that, like, old-school kind of B-movie sloppiness to it. So it, 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 like, surrounds the more modern horror stuff with this sense of nostalgia in a way that I found. Yeah, appealing. I mean, maybe it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, Dracula or Bride of Frankenstein, but there is this sense that would, at some point, like a decade after this, really start to piss us off of, oh, you know what's good and bad about horror movies, you know? Mm. So it, maybe it's not classic, but it is. it does have that thing that, like, I'm not sure how common that was back then of, like, horror movies are great and dumb at the same time, and let's see if we could do both. Yeah. And Which is a little classical. Yeah, I think it would have been a much worse movie if it just tried to bring back total, you know, if it tried to be like a totally retro movie or or whatever, but it it has it has its like grounding in that earlier stuff but like acknowledges the new stuff that's happening as well. You know, it's like 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 Twin Shadow makes really good 80s music because he references 80s stuff and brings modern sensibilities into it. He doesn't just wish it was still the 80s. It's also such a good like excuse or like a uh, framework to start your movie of like we're going to show you what we think a bad movie, a bad horror movie is. Therefore, if <laughs> any part of this movie is bad, that's just us like making a joke, right? Like you can't get mad at us. That's all on purpose. <laughs> Let's talk about what is actually scary, though. I I don't know how many times you guys jumped out of your seat watching this movie, um, but it seems like the the scares come from uh, I'm I'm very nervous about my mom and my girlfriend <laughs> getting fucked. Right? Like, is is Jerry Dandridge's handsomeness more scary than his giant giant teeth? Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is the danger, right? His sex appeal. Yeah. It's yeah. like I I don't know. And like, he's what are they up to next door? You know, what are these two dudes living together? What like are is this a danger to the neighborhood? <laughs> Or is that the scary part? Like, two men in one house? What is happening to this neighborhood? I mean, (laughs) yeah. We're laughing about it, but it kind of is, right? Yeah. I mean, but like, does the movie sort of play it as like, uh, okay, we're vampires. That's totally clear. Uh, We don't want people to know that. So I guess we'll say that we're gay. Like, (laughs) that's the cover up over vampires, right? Is that less scary to people in the 80s than vampires? I mean,. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, at the risk of dipping my toes too far into the topic, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, right? Because in, in mid-85, if you're tracking AIDS, 
and just being so right. super real about it. Like straight up, there's no way to joke about it. So if I say it now, then I can make jokes. But in in '81, it appeared right, and 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 in smaller cases. And by '85, it is a full blown epidemic that's being uh, ignored and. Queer folks are being demonized, particularly gay men. Gay men were the big scary Sam. thing. That was terrifying to people. And so, and 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 actually, and politicians, and, you know, it just, that was the climate. So you can't, even if this isn't on purpose, you can't live in an era where that is the big bad and not have your monster reflect the big bad. Right. Yeah. So I... Let's, uh... Real quick though, like I, I I do want to talk about that Sam, but in a little bit, uh, let's talk about the Tom Holland, and no, like you fucked it up, like you ruined the show. But well, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I can't. I mean, I can answer it in a more basic way though, which is like every time the the scares that hit me, Jerry Dandridge appearing scared me because I think that visually Tom Holland knew what the fuck he was doing, and so his his actual appearances were never from where you expect them, and that always lands for me as a horror fan Sam. also yeah. sam let's think about it uh, i asked a question as the host i set you up for that answer you answered it perfectly and then i got mad at you uh, <laughs> so who's actually doing the bad job here let's talk about tom holland the director the uh the aficionado you know like the person who watched all the universal stuff did you guys see throughout this movie a guy who you know what like i've seen the birds i've seen bride of frankenstein uh i've seen nosferatu uh did you guys feel where like the director had a thumb on I know what tension or horror is you could just say no <laughs> if you want to say no just say no I think it comes naturally to him but that's only because I saw him in a and a once where he was like talking through Chucky and all he did was like rather than and we were all waiting for this he had a great person asking him questions and, and kind of you know about horror and all of his things were oh wait hold on this is the part where Chucky walks through flower or whatever and it's like I mean, I think he doesn't I thought you overthink meant, it. I thought you meant talking through Chucky like he had a Chucky doll and was doing oh. a twist <laughs> thing. Oh my god, can you imagine? No, like, who's that? Uh, it, it who's was... that stand-up comedian with like all the racist puppets? Jeff Dun- I thought he was Jeff Dunamine <laughs> on the stage. Yeah, because you were like, it comes so naturally to him. I thought you were saying like he just really inhabited the, no, it was, the, no, it was the being Street, of Chucky but, you know, with yeah, Chucky yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, like I read, excuse me, I read a Reddit AMA with him today, and he really seems to feel very fortunate about his career, you know. And it, like, I don't think he's stupid. I don't think he's bad at his job. But he's not like I'm a fucking master of the arts, and I deserve far more than this. He was like, "Did you guys see what I did? I made Fright Night. Isn't that awesome?" <laughs> That's. I think this guy is just instinctually making good horror. It's just. But I don't yeah. think he overthinks it. Not as much as his characters do in this movie, you know? Yeah. Well, I, let, let, go ahead, Tom. Gets. Oh, I was just going to say, just to, to bring back the, the slasher comparison for once, you're, you know, you're talking about, like, the Jerry's, like, presence and his entry. Like, uh, I think you're right that the movie is often scariest when he's, like, mid, you know, dead center of the frame, very visible. And that's a very interesting contrast with slasher movies, which so often rely on like hiding the villain, you know, mm. and like the unseen and the unknown. But um, yeah, this is like almost like a 60s European film with how like they, I'm just going to put the villain in the middle and just have him stare for 30 seconds. And <laughs> I'm into it. Like yeah. when Chris Sarandon is staring at like a group of people on a dance floor, 
I'm like, I'm freaked out. That's way yeah. scarier than like somebody crawling up the stairs or whatever, you know? That I would say that's his most tense moments. Uh, all right, let's take a break. And when we come back, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. That's right, motherfuckers. It's Rushmore time. Instead of uh, like donating a mountain, designating a mountain of four president's heads, we're going to do it to something different. We're going to do it to the single foremost. So what's the four version of the word single? Quad- quadrant most. Quad- quadrant eagle most. Uh, <laughs> iconic performances of actors playing actors, which you would think there's almost zero, but it turns out there's a lot. Uh, Sam, you are the challenger tonight, so you're going first. What is clearly going on this mountain? It, without a doubt, is Parker Posey playing Jennifer Jolie, playing Gail Weathers, who was played by Courtney Cox in Scream 3. That's, I mean, that's, there's a lot of meta going on there. There's a lot of layers. <laughs> she barters but with I'm Carrie put, Fisher? Come on. I'm going to put that on the maybe pile. And uh, if you're listening, Parker, you know why. You know what she did to me. That is the straightest thing that you've done so far. (laughs) Of many. It only gets worse from here. (laughs) Tompkins, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with um, a personal personal favorite first um, because I want just a little extra time to argue for this. Um, It's it's not even like the main character in this, but it, it but it is one of the best single scenes in any movie. Um, and so I wanted to be recognized somewhere, but, uh, Alden Ehrenreich as, uh, Hobie Doyle in Hail Caesar. Ooh, I do love me some of that. I don't know how iconic it is though. It's so iconic. It's, it's become a meme. That scene was so good. We, as a country, were like, oh, he should play Han Solo. <laughs> and look how that worked out, Tompkins. <laughs> What's his name? Toby Dahlwright? Uh, Hobie Doyle. That was close. <laughs> uh, all right. Maybe Pyle. All right. Sam. Guys, who's, Chance number two. Who is Hobie Doyle? Wow. I'm like, this is a... Uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Would that it was so simple is... Yeah. Um, well, so uh, speaking to completely accessible references, I'm going to go with <laughs> Meryl Streep. I fucking, that's such an insult. <laughs> God damn it. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to pivot. Meryl Streep as Madeline Ashton in Death Becomes Her. Uh, she has an opening number where as a narcissist, she, she, she sings a song that's like, I see me. And she's fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, Sam. Yep. Sam, Sammy boy. Uh, there's only two people I love more than Meryl Streep, and it's Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn, and you mentioned neither of them. <laughs> Maybe, Pyle. Tompkins, you're up. Um, this one, I, I, you know, acting can mean uh, many different things, and I think that some acting is more physical than others. It requires you to, like, really uh, inhabit the role with your body. And Tompkins, I'm not putting Donkey from Shrek on a mountain. I'm just not going to do it, dude. I don't care how many times you bring this up. Okay, well, if you won't do Donkey, then I instead will suggest Mark Wahlberg as Dirk Diggler in Boogie Nights. Oh, boy. Mm. He is acting pretty pretty fiercely in those. (laughs) Yeah. And so is that prosthetic. Yeah. I forgot that... I forgot that porn was movies, and I'm sorry, and he's on, and you get the point. Porn's movies. 
I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I already apologized. All right, Sam, you're down. Let's go. Yeah, so I'm just going to, I mean, fuck good choices. Um, have you guys seen <laughs> Urban Legends Final Cut? It's from the Seen year what? 2000. It's the sequel to Urban Legend. Urban Legends Final Cut. I have. Wait, is that with Rebecca Gayhart? The so she's in the first one and it has like a cameo in the second one. But yeah, it's a sequel to that. So obviously, this is like not. I'm just going to describe it because it doesn't matter. But there's this uh, <laughs> actress, Jessica Coffell or something. She plays this girl, Sandra. And for whatever reason, she just like cannot act at any moment in front of the camera. And she's <laughs> amazing. And she just makes bad horror movies. Um. I, and she's so lovable, but yeah, Urban Legends. She's like, okay. she like a stand up. Did she did she date Schmidt from New Girl for a little while? I don't know that Jessica Caulfield. Oh, maybe. I just see this is where my my limitations of pop culture end. I'm like <laughs> Urban Legends Final Cut. Duh, it's super accessible. <laughs> and see, this is where my limitations start because I was like, I'll watch New Girl so I can talk to gay people, and apparently that's that's not the case. That, that, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. All right, Jessica Caulfield on the baby pile. Topkins, where are we going? Um, yeah, sure. I, 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 I'm going to bring it around to I, – I could do a little horror. Uh, Ryan, would you agree that um, one of the hallmarks of a great performance is that you inhabit the role completely? I swear, if this is a Hallmark movie, <laughs> I'm going to freak out, dude. <laughs> that, no, that does not count. Uh, yes, Topkins, I would say yes. And would you agree that uh, many of our greatest actors um, – one Daniel Day Lewis, for instance, often blur the line between themselves and character because they inhabit the role so completely. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on the baby pile right now, and I don't even know where you're going. <laughs> uh, given that those things are true, I nominate Linda Blair as Pazuzu, the thespian in The Exorcist. <laughs> wow, Shit, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Fuck you. For me insulting you. That's going on. <laughs> All right, Sam, you're up. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit classic. Um, Lauren Bacall, incredible. Everything she serves is just, it's always too much. Um, except when it's like a decaf coffee commercial, and then obviously it's not enough. Um, but in The Fan in 1981, she plays this diva. Like, she plays basically herself, but being stalked by a killer. And uh, and it's just nonstop middle-aged lady fighting an over-obsessed fan. And I'm into it. Especially her Broadway show, which has way too much glitter, sequins, and lights. Now, is this a different version of the fan that came out in a different year with different actors? No, this is its own. I mean, there were... a. Uh, a bunch of the fans because then even like the next year there was like dar fan and then there was the fan in the 90s i think but yeah this one's the fan the slasher film okay also, i'd Bean. love to get there was also a swim fan Laura at B- one point oh there was yes <laughs> i'd My... love to get lauren bacall on a mountain but not right now Tompkins, go um okay i am going to nominate um what I, I'm just looking through my list at what's great here. Uh, Anne Baxter is Eve Harrington and All About Eve. I had I had trouble deciding which of the two female leads from that. All right, so why don't we fucking pause for a minute, Tompkins? <laughs> let's let's talk about who your host is, and let's let let's let's motherfucking think about the movie. And you thought about the movie, and you picked Anne Baxter over other options. Would you like to go again? <sighs> no. All right, on the baby pile. 
Sam, you're up. Wow. Uh, this is the most maybes we've ever gotten. You're out. All right. Yeah, I think I'm, I think that's. Uh... I I have a different one, Ryan. I have another. I can all right, go. Out. What about um, Betty Davis as Margot Channing and all about oh, Tompkins? <laughs> where did you get that? Margot Channing on the mountain, obviously. <laughs> um, I can just throw right. out. Um, I have two others. I can just toss them out. No, I think we're done. Okay. Wait, wait. Sorry. I do have one. I do have one. Go ahead. It's Tori Spelling as uh, Drew Barrymore in the opening of Scream 2 when she... All right, your mountain is as follows. <laughs> Dirk Diggler, Pazuzu, <laughs> Margot Channing, and Parker Posey, because I did not like the amount of respect that Sam lost for me when I said no to that one. <laughs> that is your Mount Rushmore of actors playing actors. The, guys, the big one that you forgot? Anna Scott. Mm. Yeah. Julia Roberts, Notting Hill. Uh, top three movie of all time. When we come back, we're going to get back into Fright Night. become one of the more famous, overtly subtle movies about queer horror. What precisely do we think that the filmmakers are trying to say about the sexual identities of the characters and about homosexuality in the 80s? Tompkins, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. <laughs> um, I, I will just say quickly, it, it's, it, it is really interesting the, the way that the first scene plays out where... Um, He's about to lose his virginity with his girlfriend and then gets distracted by these two men carrying a coffin into their basement uh, to the point that he just like completely loses interest in her. I think that's uh, a really interesting starting point for a movie. Runs into the room with his mother. Yes. (laughs) And then gets distracted. Yeah, gets distracted from her pretty consistently throughout the movie. (laughs) Well, and I mean, as we learn about her, can you blame him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really not got much going on. But I mean, like, that's the crazy thing about this movie, though, is that, like, it's not just about Amy, but it's about, like, Amanda Burse was cast. And I didn't have a childhood with right. Fright Night, but I did have a childhood. I don't know if you guys can tell by everything that I say or like. Uh, I had a childhood filled with Mary with Children. And uh, Amanda Burse was, like, uh, didn't play a gay character on TV, but, like, came out before ellen like she was just like i i'm faking my straightness and now i direct and yeah i'm totally gay yeah you know and like there's a lot of that going on in this movie it's also interesting that the girlfriend becomes uh like sort of a, a pawn between the main character and jerry like um because there's that like seduction uh that's going on but then you realize that um 
you know, Jerry is only interested in the girlfriend as like a tool to bring uh, God, the main character's name. I really just got to start writing this shit down. Charlie. Charlie. Um, <laughs> I think it's charming when I do that. Uh <laughs> He he uses so Jerry Sam. uses the girlfriend uh, as a tool to uh, bring Charlie closer. Um, although the and seduction what, is very real at the same time, which I also and one of my one of my favorite parts about the movie, and I, I like I don't think I would have noticed honestly if it wasn't for Sam coming on the show because I watched it again today. Uh, is uh, Amanda Burst? Uh, Amy is like tomboy girl next door the entire movie. And then at a certain point, and there's a lot of reasons to be scared of Amy at a certain point, but what else is going on is that her hair is getting way longer, she has makeup, and she's literally wearing, like, giant boobs. And the whole time, Charlie's like, Peter, fix this, please. Get me out of the situation as fast as possible. I think she wants to have sex with me. (laughs) It's... It's such a wild fucking turn with Charlie because he opens trying to, like, coerce her (laughs) into having sex with him after she has explicitly said no multiple times. And then, like, immediately, as soon as she does express or agree to it, right, um, that's when he notices the boys next door. And, and, And once he clocks them, he cannot, like... He just will never look. There's only one other moment where he looks at a woman in a way where he's interested, and it's the woman in all blue, like the yeah. one that's revealed to be a sex worker headed over to there. Like, and I guess, well, and I guess the one through the window that Jerry's like hooking up with, which is a little bit of like by vibes there. But um, it's just he is not interested in, I mean, or he is so much more interested in Jerry Dandridge than he is all of the women around him. But watch the fucking camera in that scene when he's peeping on his neighbor with, and uh, like the, I think these are the, like the only boobs that we get in the movie. And Sam, let me tell you, uh, Tompkins and I going through eighty five horror, <laughs> a lot of boobs, bro. Like we get boobs <laughs> all the time, and I think this is it. And the camera goes away from the boobs onto Jerry's orgasmic, about to like bite her on the neck, but just Jerry's like, ah, oh, yeah, and that is what Charlie is interested in. Yeah, then the camera switches. It's it's looking at Jerry, and there's this like very you know Jerry knows that Charlie is watching him. They're exchanging looks, and so once yep. again, like the woman is there and they're and very sexual, but is, uh, yeah, like a device or or something you know being used in this like yeah this game. You guys notice that like he reaches down for his binoculars. I thought he was pulling his dick out, <laughs> and then he lifts them up. This is the horniest movie. That's why yeah. I, I thought. I remember thinking it was like a kids movie. No, I mean yes, but like wow, <laughs> would not I mean, have like, been surprised if he did. It is because like there's a lot of you know comedy and like gross stuff that kids like, but uh, it, it's the edge masteriest movie I have ever seen. Yes. Like no one comes to completion in the entire movie. Fucking Jerry can't even finish a piece of fruit without saying, no, I don't deserve the whole thing. and just throws it on the ground. Like, Man. no one can just, like, get fully engorged and out. The way he bites that apple, though, is mm-hmm. fascinating. Because he, core and everything, there's just a, you know, a, a moon-like sliver of apple left that he throws right to Charlie. It's, uh, it, it reminded me a lot actually of um 
the way that Army Hammer's character eats and call me by your name, like this this like ravenous way of eating. Yeah, he ate that apple like there was a load on it. I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is this. You there know is this funny. I, I, I was thinking that's of how my dad got me to eat vegetables when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the way he eats the egg, the way he like slurps the egg and then downs the orange juice. I totally forgot that he eats the fruit. <laughs> that, that wasn't even the <laughs> reference I was looking at. But yeah, there's that too. Anyway, but like, it, it call me by your name. It's like, uh, uh, you know, like achieving what you desire is awesome. And in this yeah. movie, it's like, oh, don't think about it. Do it. Do half of it but don't ever go the whole way or Jason will come out and then Peter <laughs> Cushing will get mad. What's his name? Peter Vincent. Sorry. Peter Vincent. So there's a parallel here with the anti-gay propaganda that had been kind of surfacing before the AIDS eruption. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1960s, there were these PSAs, the boys beware PSA. So Google boys beware, but it's basically um, it teaches boys not to, get in the car with a stranger but really it's about like hitchhiking which is really cruising right which is looking Mm. for gay sex in public and what it is is it it emphasizes to not trust a friendly male stranger basically and jerry dandridge is the ultimate stranger stranger danger like he and and charlie's drawn to him in a way that people I think have been warned or men, especially like young men were up until that point warned not to, or to recognize that draw and to um, beware. And mm. so he's really just the embodiment of that boogeyman. That's kind of been around for a couple decades at that point. And like, we ultimately see that when uh, him and Ed, I will not say evil Ed cause evil Ed does not like that. Uh, when Jerry opens up his coat <laughs> in the alleyway and says, come on in. And he's like, you yeah. know what? This is probably better than what what I would like what my life would be without coming into the coat. So I'll do it. And then, <laughs> all right, I've I've now I now have like a younger soul. Yeah, Jerry doesn't bite Ed. He invites him into his coat like he's J Lo and Hustlers. You know what I mean? Just like this, <laughs> fully just wraps Same. around him and gives him a feeling. I think because what he's offering is so much more than just being a vampire. He's he he is what is seen as, and even when you look at the camera and the way that uh, that Ed is positioned is down and he's up and he reaches out his hand, this is a predator. It's being filmed as a predator who is offering solace to like a wayward youth. And again, it's a it's a stereotype, you know. It, it's a fear that is prevalent in Reagan era families. Would would you would you say that like so so? Uh, Jerry is yeah he he's he he's playing the role of this like stereotype this this like fear-mongering figure. Do you think that the movie is um trying to flip that on its head at all or do you think he is just the um the you, thing itself? You know, I don't actually know that that the movie's intention is that. I think it's really interesting kind of like to think about um the creation of Freddy Krueger in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And how uh, the covers of tabloids, like, uh, they were all covered with celebrities who were wasting away in hospital beds. Those were the number one stories. So you couldn't escape skin and hollowed out eyes that looked like Freddy. 
And then all of a sudden we have Freddie, who looks like the embodiment of the very thing, the boogeyman that haunts the National Enquirer and the World Weekly News. You know, now, did did they make Freddie like that on purpose? No, they were like, hey, he looks like a pizza. But when you have a public <laughs> consciousness of something that is uh, so much bigger and darker and you're not allowed to talk about it, but it is everywhere, it permeates everything, how can you not? So, yeah, I don't. this movie doesn't give me, like, on-purpose vibes. I think it's actually just playing with the very real fears of the people of that time just like a zeitgeist kind of deal it's, I mean, it's there also have to be some intentional things right yeah it feels because yeah but then that's that that's the other funny thing about you know like freudian shit <laughs> you know like it's totally right. possible that the you know the director or whatever could have been like oh no i didn't at all i wouldn't <laughs> um but it's also interesting was- that, that oh go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, you were talking about Amy and the actor coming out in real life. And it's, you know, it's interesting even thinking about um, Evil Ed, you know, yeah. how how actors who are later outed as queer can bring something different to a film. You know, I mean, he was, my gator was going off as soon as I saw him. And then it was like, oh, right, right. That's uh, uh, Stephen Jeffries, you know? Yeah. That's, there's a lot to unpack there. And they're just, yeah. like, even attracted to these roles in a way that, like, he can't explain back then, maybe. He's like, no, I want to do Fright Night. Why? I, I don't know yet, but <laughs> let me, you know, let me be this character, and maybe I will one day. But, like, it's all, like, you can just feel that it's all there. You know, yeah. like, where I get to be this person who has to deal with this stuff. Or is it the other way around? I mean, we've been casting queer people as villains for so long. So, like, look, I'm just going to break it down really quick in <laughs> one or two sentences, but... Hayes Code happens in the 1930s to like have there be censorship, right? So queer people aren't allowed to exist as characters. So what happens? They have to code them as something else. The only way queer identity could exist on screen was if that person was a villain or a monster. So whether it's Dracula's daughter in 1936 and she's a lesbian presenting Same. vampire or bisexual, or it's caged where it's an explicit butch lesbian. And that kind of gives people the idea of, oh, this is what queer people are. At a certain point, we culturally became trained to expect our villains to be queer. All you have to do is look at Disney movies to know that. Jafar is not straight. Mm. Ursula is a fucking drag queen. If you look at even just our kids' movies on the most basic levels, we have people diverging or diverting from gender norms, and that is to signify that they are evil. And when you look at evil Ed, who is an outsider, and he's a little bit femme, and there's something there between him and Jerry when Jerry puts his hand out and pulls him up, that to me doesn't feel like accidental casting. That to me feels like the byproduct of what is bred in us for decades when it comes to how we cast villains. Yeah. Sam. I, uh, for sure. Tompkins go. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's also interesting that this movie is sort of about like this seductive figure moving into the suburbs. Like the, the, the mm. setting is very suburban. Yes. And I think that that has a lot to do with that. You know, it's it's like this this guy, Tompkins. Jerry, is someone you could totally picture in, like, New York City or something. But now he's, you know, right next door to your own home. Yeah, um, and keep in mind that, like, the two kids, uh, Charlie and uh, Ed, only had pop culture, right? And yeah. then, oh, now now we have, like, this life experience that we could possibly have. And then they're just they're drawn to it, you know? Plus that trench coat, obviously New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the scarf too. Uh, oh, I do like yeah. the scarf. 
Oh, I was also going to say in terms of like sort of of I'm not sure if this is necessarily um, queer coding, but one moment that I found interesting is that the mom who's like totally oblivious says like, oh, he has a live in carpenter. Um, <laughs> I was screaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very it's like, oh, they're you know, they're two confirmed bachelors, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like when you see Chris and Stewart and they're like gal pal cuddling up on the beach and the pictures like them like eating each other out you know yeah <laughs> yeah and the rest of her sentence is like i hope he's not gay <laughs> yeah you know that's the thing is that she's like with my luck he's probably or, gay. yeah that's what it is yeah yeah but still like takes the risk and says hey come into my house because she's the homeowner they make careful to say like the homeowner has to invite <laughs> the vampire to the house very uh, specific there yeah, yeah. Uh, that's like, like the some Fifty Shades of Grey clause contract shit. <laughs> the vampires will call the lawyers, call the realtors, and make sure. Oh no, this is the homeowner. I will come in. <laughs> um, and she was, so it worked. Uh, another another <laughs> moment uh, between um, Ed and Charlie is when uh, it's at the very beginning. Um, uh, the girl Amy is mad at Charlie, and they're talking, and Ed says something like. Oh, uh, what's the matter? Did she find out how you really are? And that was like yeah. kind of strange to me because it, in 1985, I feel like a car- they would have been much more likely to just use a slur or something. It's not like you needed to be um, subtle in your like gay bashing at that point. But that particular phrasing I thought was really interesting. But yeah, like that's why I went back to the pop culture thing is that uh, Charlie knows some about pop culture. He dabbles in horror and Ed is a professional. Like Ed knows all about the genre. So I feel like Ed is a step ahead of everyone, whether he knows it or not. Hmm. You know, when you talk about particular phrasing, it immediately makes me think about when Jerry shows up in his bedroom, in Charlie's bedroom and says, forget about me and I'll forget about you. He offers him a choice. And hmm. what he says is, I'm going to give you a choice or the, uh, something I don't have a choice. So when you're thinking about a time when to be what what's happening in the mid eighties, as far as like advertising campaigns go, it's like the warning about AIDS was if you have sex, you will die. If you have gay sex, you will die. I mean, the, in 81, it was called grid gay related immune deficiency. It wasn't even AIDS yet. It was all absolutely attached to gay people. And yeah. so to say something that I don't have, a choice it's like there's no going back from aids and when people saw that at that time it felt like this is your death sentence and so i see a man who's saying he wants he's telling this kid like you can go the other way you can you can go away from this path of destruction basically but i can't and there was a moment there that it felt i don't know touching even though he was holding him yeah. by the neck <laughs> yeah and his face would get, was getting nuts, but like, there's no uh, vampire bite Same. that's like just for the next ten years, right? Yeah. Oh, you, like I can bite you so much where like you'll only be a vampire for ten years. Like it's in or out right now. You have this choice. And they're always talking around it. It feels like they're talking around something for the at least at like the forty minute mark because that's like it comes right after that. And he also says like you can't. They're like, oh, you can't murder a vampire, Amy. They're dead. Remember? And that reminds me of just the way that we that. Uh, legally, we justify gay panic. It's like, well, uh, okay, you can't. I mean, it's to dehumanize somebody, right? Like, you can't murder him because he's already a monster. You can't hurt these people because they're already other. Um, and that's the rhetoric 
of that's anti-gay rhetoric of the time it's like you can't not so while maybe a straight audience member might be sitting there just totally like okay that feels a little weird but or or maybe not maybe it's just a joke for a queer audience member you can't not hear that you know yeah and then of course then there's the uh he suck his way through the whole town line (laughs) (laughs) and it's like all right we all agree on that though right yeah (laughs) i i will say if if i hadn't um been thinking consciously of that lens just as a straight person i i think this is all stuff i could have easily missed in something where now that i've thought of it it feels so obvious which i think is a very interesting phenomenon in especially like older like like 80s movies is this mix of like so obvious you couldn't possibly miss it and yet everyone does unless but everybody does yeah well, that's why I love the 80s so much for horror, because it's mm-hmm. so rich with this. You know, if we talk about, like, Universal Monsters, for example, and James Whale being queer and making Frankenstein, he did feel other. He makes this monster. And, okay, I get it. But something interesting happens in the 80s where everybody feared the same thing. And so it comes out in so many weird ways, whether it's intentional or not. Now, a lot of it is, right? But a lot of it's just there. And that's why horror is so fun to unpack, especially slashers. I mean, this yeah. isn't a slasher, but body count films. You know, young yeah. people having sex and dying. And it's- watching this movie, uh, what, 35 years later after it came out, um, there was some, I was going through some shit of like, what is intentional, what is not. But at, at a certain point, let's say 30 years, what it is is what it is. Like, it, it doesn't matter what was intentional. This means this now because this is what society, how society has changed. And this is how it's going to be taken. Yeah, I think that's, you know, like the nature of horror, you know, it's it's the, the primary emotion that they're working with is is fear. And I think even when you're crafting something fear based, you're not going to be able to neatly untangle why exactly you fear things. You just kind of know, like, you know, oh, if that happened to be in a nightmare, it would be really scary. That kind of thing. So there are there are these like really unexamined things that sort of like surpass their own limits. Or, you know, put in your movie like, oh, later on, 20 years from now, if you're scared of gay people, this doesn't count as that. You can't use this for gay, like, it, certain fears. We're just going to say, like, no, that doesn't count as those fears. It's going to yeah. be whatever people are scared of. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, trivia. Trivia. That's right. You heard it. It's trivia time. You guys know how this works. Uh, when you know the answer, uh, say your name. That's how you're going to buzz in. Please wait till I'm done with the question. Otherwise, it's rude, and the other person will get a point. Question number one. What actor is the name Peter Vincent, if not the performance, based on that Roddy McDowell has gives? Not a, not a well-written question. <laughs> Sam, no, you did. I was done. Vincent Price. Was it? Sam. That is correct. Uh, but there's another... Uh, uh, answer of Peter Cushing, yeah. but uh, it's Vincent Price. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Peter Vincent has a real-life movie prop in his apartment from what film franchise? Tompkins. Tompkins. Star Wars. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's... Nope. <laughs> Ryan. Planet of the Apes, Roddy McDowell was Cornelius. Roddy uh, McDowell... Oh. In- Roddy McDowell, in part, took the role of Peter Vincent because he had never played a character that old before. Peter Vincent was 60. How old was Roddy McDowell at the time? Tompkins. Tompkins. I'm going to say, like, 35. In Fright Night. Incorrect. Sam? 
Uh, 45. He was 57 years old and <laughs> was nervous about playing 60. Uh, the, neighbor- <laughs> the neighborhood of Fright Night is the same famous neighborhood from this. 1980s Tom Hanks classic. Tompkins. Tompkins. Uh, the Money Pit? That is incorrect. Sam. Samuel. Big. That is incorrect. It is Damn The it. Burbs. Uh, oh, The Burbs. Jonathan Stark plays the vampire's right-hand man, Billy Cole, who helps his boss murder his victims. Name another movie where a character named Billy Cole uses his right hand to murder people, this time on a football field. Tompkins. Tompkins. The last uh, cowboy uh, that, the, where what the, uh, God, what the fucking movie with the Bruce Willis. It, it, is it the last Boy Scout? You're the last Boy Scout. Hints right now. Yes. <laughs> the last Boy Scout. I just remembered. Sam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tom Holland had to rewrite his script in order to fit in which character who was not in the original draft? Sam. Sam. Evil Ed? That is incorrect. Damn. Tompkins. Peter Vincent. Wait, is that your answer? Yeah, it, he had to add Tompkins. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were wonderful. What's your answer? Peter Vincent. That is incorrect. It's Amy. He was like, uh, oh, I forgot a girl. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Holland is the name of the director of this movie. What is the name of the best Spider-Man? Tompkins. Tompkins? Tom Holland. That is incorrect. N- oh. Sam. Sam? Yeah, no, it's Tom Holland. That is incorrect. <laughs> He's so cute and charismatic. It's the guy from New Girl uh, from Into the Spider-Verse. Right. <laughs> In the sequel to Fright Night, what was the name of the sequel to Evil Ed? T- Tompkins. Tompkins. Malicious Med. I'm sorry, Malicious Med? Med. His first name is Med? Yeah. What is that short for? Medrick. Medrick. Sam? Wow. Uh, I wanted that to be Malicious Melissa, so I'm going to go with that. It's Evil Ed 2, Ed by Dawn. In the sequel to Fright Night... <laughs> in the sequel to Fright Night, what was the name of the sequel to Jerry Dandridge? Sam. Sam? To Jerry, to Dandridge. Oh, I want to give you a point for that, but that is wrong. <laughs> Tompkins. Tompkins. Jerry Dandruff? Uh, he obviously died in the first movie. Guys, please watch the movie <laughs> that we're covering tonight. Uh, Fright Night star William Ragsdale went on to star in what hit Fox show? Tompkins. Tompkins? Family Guy. <laughs> Incorrect. Sam. Sam? New Girl. I know you like that one. <laughs> I hate how... It still sounds like an insult. Uh, no, it was called Herman's Head. What Pixar movie is a direct ripoff of Herman's Head? Tompkins. Sam. To- Tompkins. Toys? To- Toys Story? Toys-, <laughs> Toys the Robin Williams movie is... Toys Story. Not- Toy Story is incorrect. Sam? <laughs> that one where the dinosaur gets high with a baby. The good dinosaur... Uh, underrated Pixar classic. But no, this is... Hermit's Head was about four people inside of this one person. <gasps> Tompkins. Tompkins? Um, wow. Inside Out. Oh, my God. It's inside <laughs> Out. Tompkins. <laughs> Number 12. What is the name of the Playboy-funded erotic anthology movie from 1991? Oh. T- t- uh, Tompkins? Uh, 
I couldn't remember my own name. I, I'm not <laughs> confident about this one. Um, fright, uh, um, fright, naked girl, and she is so she's looking good. So once again, you give you you give no shits about podcasting and making good content. You just said <laughs> your name with no answer, and then we all had to sit there and watch that shit. Yeah, that's what happened. All right, uh, so Sam, Sam, it's up it's up to you, but let me remind you that the answer to the last question was Inside Out. Oh, oh, uh, oh. S- Sam, go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, shit. I was going to say Silk Stockings, like one of those fucking Showtime things, but Inside Out doesn't have anything to do with those except when you put them on wrong. So what is your answer? Uh, I Silk Stockings, that's all I got. Ryan. It was called Inside Out. Is there a oh, single... Wow. Is there a single fucking movie or TV show that Inside Out, that piece of shit Pixar movie that nobody likes, did not rip off? Tompkins. Silk. Tompkins. No. Incorrect. Sam? Silk Stockings. <laughs> it did not rip off Silk, Silk Stockings. That is correct. Uh, but no, there, like, I only had two examples. There's dozens of things that Inside Out did not rip off. Uh, in a class action lawsuit just recently settled against Pixar for creating Inside Out and ripping off basically every movie and TV show of all time, the judge has dictated that we each get to take one thing from Pixar and make it our own. What do you choose? Tompkins. Tompkins. Uh, CGI animation. <laughs> oh, shit. That's going to be a moneymaker for you, bro. <laughs> Tompkins. <laughs> Sam, you want to... I was thinking, like, uh, a toy Woody, <laughs> but Tompkins just... Took over the world. Uh, Sam, you, you want to first, man. go? I mean, that is the best answer, but I would just want to take anything and make it gay. Just one. One fucking... Yeah. <laughs> that dinosaur that gets high with a baby, but gay. Sam. How many Pixar movies are actually better than Inside Out? Tompkins. Tompkins. All, all the rest of them. Incorrect. There's Except actual Cars 2 and Cars 3 and... Planes. Planes is not Pixar, you fucking stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> Sam, go ahead. Uh, you're going to hate me, but zero. It's Ooh. so good, and we need to teach kids how to Ryan. vote, especially young men. The correct answer is four. We're going <laughs> to go back and forth, starting with Tompkins. Name them. If Toy you say story. the correct one, you get a point. If you say the wrong one, your opponent gets the point. Tompkins, go. Toy Story. Tompkins. Sam? Toy Story 2. Sam. Tompkins? Toy Story 3. Sam. Sam? (laughs) (laughs) That one where the dinosaur gets high with a baby. Fucking Sam. Free the room. No. (laughs) Two more left. Tompkins, go. Up. Sam. Sam. Uh, Wally. Sam. One more. Tompkins, what is it? Um, I No, I know this. I know all of them. They're Pixar T- movies. I love these ones. Take a they bunch of time. So, they have so many good ones. Um, I'm going to say A Bug's Life. Sam. <laughs> Sam, last chance. What is it? Ants. I'm just kidding. Uh, Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> also Tompkins. not Pixar. Oh not really? Pixar. Yep. Damn, I was that was my joke, but it wasn't a joke. <laughs> the answer is finding Nemo. Inside oh, Out is the yeah. fifth best Pixar movie. When we come back, more Fright Night. 
Back to Fright Night. The back half of this movie has become famous for its practical effects, designed in part by Steve Johnson and Randy Cook. And Tompkins, I got to say that I thought uh, Dawn, no, Day of the Dead was going to destroy the season. You know, like it was just going to be like the clear thing. But I don't know. Last 40 minutes of this movie has a lot of stuff. Does does Fright Night earn this reputation? And which shots or scenes still hold up the best today? I think I I would put Day of the Dead above this in terms of practical effects, just because Day of the Dead is like the thing. Um, and Day of the Dead are kind of almost on par to me. The it's thing. a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, and this, I think was a little bit more hit or miss with the practical effects. Like we, we talked um, in day of the dead about like, you know, that it's sort of like watching a, a close up magician. And in this, there were definitely moments where it was like too Tom much, kids. like, Oh, I know exactly what you're doing. You know, like when the um, evil henchman guy is melting and there's a scene where it's clearly like, they just dropped chicken bones um, onto the stairs from above frame, and that and felt also a little it, sloppy. If you were confused as to like what kind of monster or person that guy was, just wait till he dies, and you're gonna have so many more questions. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he just like diarrhea slimer, and I don't know what is going on. But uh, all right, so let's get to Ed. I think that Evil Ed is the big one, right? Um, yeah. Evil Ed's transformation, I think, is like. One of the best I've ever seen. Uh, I love the cross to the forehead that has goo come off of it as they pull the cross off. And then we have a guy transforming in front of us. Did you guys, uh, were you guys in the movie when that happened where you're like, oh, yeah, this is real and I love it. Did you guys uh, stop and think, uh, I'm still enjoying this, but I like I do want to know how they did it. Or were you guys like, this is bullshit and I hate it. <laughs> I was fully on board for the Ed transformation. Um, there were a couple when when the when it's so nitpicky but like when the dog when he's in his wolf form and it's like crawling away that felt a little bit but then the actual transformation itself i thought was like yeah i i I was into it it's strange for me to be nostalgic for something that isn't working because i'm (laughs) like i'm watching it and i'm seeing like the wolf's eyes turn red for example just like an animated cartoon eye and then i'm like ah but then i'm like oh man i really miss this you know or (laughs) or during you know evil ed's transformation i'm sitting there looking at the makeup and i'm like ah fuck here it is like it's it's practical we need more practical effects because whenever i watch cg makeup or cg effects all i think is that doesn't look real but hey i mean like if i'm being fair i think the same thing with practical effects i just like practical better (laughs) yeah First of all, we're not going to see it again. And that's what, like, you know, like, nobody's ever going to choose to do it that way ever again. And second of all, you can feel them trying their best. You know, like, there's so much of this movie that's, like, sort of, uh, you know, 14-year-olds that got their parents' camera filming in the backyard. And, I like, it's so endearing in that way, you know? When they do, like, the earnestness of each moment. Yeah. When they do, like, the first-person shots to try and, like, signal that uh he's turned into a bat that kind of thing and then like the camera lands in the bushes and then he gets uh, it's very like Tompkins. i i, I love fucking that love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's very much like uh in between shots like in between a cut you can hear the neighbor 
uh, start to start complaining, and then it cuts out, and then it moves to the next shot. Like that's uh, <laughs> all of these like homemade movies. You can feel that in there. Yeah. Some Karen running down the street, like get your werewolf out of my backyard. <laughs> and and talking about like you know CGI, like I I really do think that the only effect, at least in a horror movie, that should be used is is practical because again, like it plays into the feeling of like suspense. It plays into the, you know, if, if I'm watching the same thing, but it's all CGI, I'm not playing the game of like, Oh, how did they do that? How is that? That's so interesting. The answer is a computer did it. Yeah. Um, Well, I can't think of one time when I've seen like a CGI injury or like wound or anything. and gone, Ooh, we don't have that physical response because it doesn't feel like there's any sort of physicality to what we're looking at. And it's just a brain reaction where even with a practical effect, even when I know that the blood isn't real, I'm looking at physical blood, leave a body. And that has an effect on me as a horror viewer. And this movie has a lot of that, like a lot of gross. And I love when like the green slime, like land, like hits the floor, just like, it's just the the small details like that, that make it feel like a world that's actually living and breathing. Yeah. And like, I I think it's hard to ignore that. Like they really did a good job of uh, postponing that until the last possible moment. Like they really held off on giving us that. And then they also tried hard on the other stuff. Like I do think that, I'm so sorry, Tompkins. Day of the what is it called? Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead is probably a better movie all in all. Mm-hmm. But uh, this movie had a lot of patience, and it was like, actually, let's just work on characters right now. Let's just work on slow playing this, and then they they really gave it to us. But that amount that amount of confidence, like I really do like. Yeah. And on the note about the bat, I mean, it's like because that first person thing. I mean, I I and I, which I loved the second a wolf showed up, I was like. They fucking had an animal on set. They had animal money because you know I, I was thinking there's no fucking way that's the movie I'm getting because because it speaks to the patience Same. that you're talking about. They they delay the pleasure of those horror moments. Um, yeah, and I appreciate that. And if you listen closely in some of like the scenes at high school, you can hear somebody in the background going like, "Let's get the wolf," and then somebody else says like, "Not yet. Relax. Yeah. We're gonna do it later." There's there's no wolves in high school. <laughs> Uh, also, one of the the best effects are are just the the fangs and the long fingers, um, and Dude. those are one of the few things that you get early, <laughs> and it's so good. I mean, in that scene we talked about where, um, you know, he's where Charlie's eavesdropping on Jerry, and then you first see those those fingers, and it doesn't like. It's so like they're the perfect length to just be like odd and creepy. They're not. If they were any longer, it wouldn't work. If they were any shorter, it wouldn't work. And just, then just seeing them, it's I love that. And it's just such a simple little thing, but it's done so well. So I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Only because, for me, it was just, like, such obvious femphobia. Because, like, the yeah. very first time the fingernails are revealed, they're revealed as being weird. That's the signifier. Not that they're, like, dead or anything. He's, like, caressing her body. Same. And it's like, that dude's got long nails. And the second time we see them, he's in that club. And then the long nails show up. And the security guard's reaction, he calls for help. <laughs> this guy's got long nails. I need backup. It's like classic okay. security calling for security. <laughs> I mean, it, it, not enough to me had been revealed that he was a vampire, that this guy would be like screaming. It really was the reaction to difference and the reaction to that like feminine, but like reclaimed as monstrous trait. Yeah. But, like, that's when fair. you're going to, 
But I get when it. You're, no, but you're, you're right. Make they a vampire cool. thing. You, yeah. You have to decide if when our vampires be, or when our people like look like vampires, are they still going to be sexy or are they going to not? And yeah. I like this this movie because uh, they chose not sexy. Like even in Buffy, which I just started and I'm like I'm trying to get through the TV series. Uh, I wouldn't say that's sexy, but like it gives them more power. Like they they really think that they look sexy. Um, but with this I movie, mean, I still want to bang Spike for sure. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean. I don't care if his hair. face is fucked up or not. Are you kidding that accent? <laughs> but Get for so many of these vampires, like this movie chose to go ugly, and then so many of the vampires are like, don't look at me. Even though I'm trying to intimidate you, please don't see my ugliness right now. And it, it gets ugly. Like their mouths get huge and the teeth go crazy. Yeah, that full mouth of ugly teeth on Evil Ed, I couldn't. It was so funny. I yeah. love but the but they in all fairness, the vampires are when they're trying to be like seductive, they don't get super ugly yet. You know, like they're yeah. hot enough that you still want to fuck daddy next door. You know what I mean? But you, <laughs> but like by the time you get to like, you know, uh, that, that wonky mouth. All right. Maybe not. You know, I don't want that anywhere near me. Yeah. And honestly, like, I, I, like I'm okay with like super sharp monstrous fangs. If you at some point put in a retainer, but they're going everywhere. Like they're pointing every which direction. Yeah. Where's your I, night guard? I, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should be putting in something when you sleep. Yeah, I'm also wondering, like, you know, this this idea of, like, femme coat with, like, the long, the the nails specifically, but the, the, the fingers, too, are also sort of, like, elongated so that they're, you know, the appearance is more slender, I guess. But, like, I think that, I think that there's something there, too, about, um, you know, like, it kind of makes me think of, like, Prince, this, like, incredibly seductive figure who also is like not traditionally masculine, you know, and and like the mm-hmm. the discomfort that that obviously causes in, uh, you know, lamos. Um, <laughs> and and no, so it's and, interesting, and especially in the eighties. Yeah, so and so in that David s- Bowie, and you've got yeah, yeah, and in that scene specifically where it's like a bi curious kind of thing, I think that's interesting. Um, but then, yeah, I, 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 I guess I, I would not have, I would not have on my own made the connection of it, of it being, uh, yeah, like fem coding or whatever. But, but see, you're, I think I you're can right. already yeah. hear like, I can already hear like some straight listener at home right now going, "What the fuck, dude? Long nails? That doesn't mean gay or whatever." But here's the deal. <laughs> It's not just the nails being long that's gay. It's the way the camera presents it. It's the horror of the reveal that this man has those nails. That's the signifier. That's the femphobia I'm talking about. And It's the the exact same camera shot of American Werewolf in London, his foot stretching out and becoming a monster. That's the same thing with just now having long nails. Yeah. Exactly. And the root to homophobia really is femphobia it's it we wouldn't be homophobic if we weren't misogynistic first you know and if we were acceptable if we accepted uh female traits as being desirable um not just sexualized but actually women as equals then we wouldn't be afraid of them in ourselves you know and this movie constantly rides that line and i appreciate that his trench coat is almost a dress (laughs) (laughs) but yes to nails yeah and and that that moment is right where it's 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 horror and seduction like directly Mm. put up against each other so you see you see the joint appeal and distaste for it that like you know 
your standard middle American might have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I, I do think that it's hard. Like, uh, I don't know if the director did a good job, like, you know, Hitchcockian tense scenes, but I do know that he did a very good job of like, uh, if you, I don't care what your affiliation is, uh, do not find Chris Sarandon enticing. If you like, if you don't want to like go hug him a little bit and hang out <laughs> with him and maybe be in his jacket, then you're fucking lying. I do not care who you are. You know, like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, and because it's like whether you want to or not, the camera's about to sexualize him. Right. So exactly. Yeah. And if maybe if you're not okay with their sexuality, you are okay with your movie training enough to know what a camera means, and you know that like this is where the camera is leading me. Oh shit, gentlemen! It is the speed round. Here we go. You do not have to say your name after these questions. Common mistake. Do you guys wish we still had hosts of late night horror movies? Yes. yes. Tompkins. So how would that work? Would we uh, like? Turn on a horror movie on Netflix that's like from the '60s, nobody heard of, and then we have like a little intro and outro. I would, uh, do it. yeah, absolutely. I think it should, but I think it should be a drag queen. Like oh, I miss yeah. Elvira, and so I want like what I want is like horror host drag queen. I want that camp and cheese and fun. I don't want just some dude coming out and introing something. Yeah how how often do you guys want your Netflix movie interrupted by this drag queen? constantly yeah <laughs> every every two minutes yeah I, I i honestly walk in front of it <laughs> yeah i want like the full mystery science theater 3000 <laughs> yeah sam Tompkins. uh what exactly does peter vincent regain faith in the sun that's <laughs> that's a tough S- one un or because... son yes Tompkins. Oh, uh, sorry. That's a tough one for me because um, I don't think it means uh, like faith, faith. There's nothing in the movie before that that makes it feel like this is going to take that turn. And so the closest I could come up with is that it's like faith in this entire like horror movie monster thing he's built his career on. But then it's also weird that that comes at the moment where it's like, well, he kind of needs faith the least now like he he's had so much proof that these are in fact vampires but i don't know how it's faith even then no what gets yes but no (laughs) like what gets weird about it is that they have that moment where the vampire where jerry's like no it's not that you don't have faith you and it's like what we've already seen it work how could he not have faith in it because he knows that it works that's bonkers and then it does like the only thing that doesn't actually work at the end it really is when i said the sun it's a joke but it's also not (laughs) that's all right so so i think that's gonna lead me to question three uh does this movie get all of the rules of vampire right like eventually like the script just cheats right in order to finish it up does the script just like be like "Ah, i don't care like we're already at 97 minutes let's get out of here (laughs) It does pretty good. No? Wait. All right. Uh, we already hit on this one, but uh, let us I'm going to give you guys both a chance to sound off. What specifically to you makes Jerry so seductive? That chin. <laughs> he, like, he smiles, and it's the shape of his face. I would say yes to anything he asked. Can I say real quick, Topkins, before you go, that uh, the reason he he got his last name is because he was born with it? The reason Susan has that last name is because she married this guy, and of course she did. Yeah, I'm a big Susan Sarandon fan, and of course she did. Yeah, Tompkins, what? Why is he so seductive? Um, 
he he like it's hard not to think of his role in Princess Bride here too because he's playing like very similar roles, but he's like um, an awful prince charming. He's he's like you know mm. he has all of the charisma and the etiquette of like uh, like a refined, sophisticated. Um, you know, princely type, but you just know that he wants to like fuck you up underneath it the whole Tom time. Dance. And I think it's very appealing. <laughs> <laughs> it's how you've lived your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> one more, one more actual layer to it though. He's cruising mm-hmm. constantly. Like Jerry's not, Jerry doesn't stand down. He makes eye contact and he doesn't let go. And in the eighties, if a Same. dude did that to you, it meant he was trying to fuck you. And so Jerry is, tr- he really is unafraid to let people know that he wants them. Yeah. Fuck. That is, I don't have that guys. I do not have that trait. Uh, <laughs> Uh, next one is the secret to not being an annoying scream knockoff to just come out ten years before scream. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sam. Next up, uh, what what do what do you guys think that we're saying here about suburban life? We talked about a lot of uh, you know things that this movie is commenting off, um, but what about the fact that this movie not only took place in the same neighborhood as the Burbs, but it's in the Burbs? Why? Why not the big city? Because the um, heteronormative family structure is, a th- in, is being threatened. Yeah. Sam. I also think one, it, one other reason uh, is, is that so many of the famous like, sla- like Halloween were taking place in this setting. And so I think it was also partially a move to take, you know, like rather than going to Dracula's castle, a faraway exotic place to bring that into a suburban space. Yeah, and, like, like Mm -hmm. before this, all of this stuff was happening in, like, let's say New York City, and everybody in New York was like, "Uh, who gives a shit, dude? Like, there are 17 (laughs) people just like you that way, you know? Like, we don't need this. And then when you put one of these others in the suburbs, everyone gets in a tizzy. Like, now this is where we have drama. Last one, who's better at dancing? Amy and Jerry in the club. Or that one girl at the end of Friday the 13th 5, A New Beginning, who listens to one album and just does a like a, a solid robot the entire time. I got to give it to my girl in Friday the 13th Part 5. She is rocking those dance moves. And I give nothing on stamina alone. <laughs> Sam. I feel like Tompkins knew how to answer that one and chose differently. When we come back, we're going to hand out some awards. Now, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. You are the expert here, but uh, Fright Night was nominated for zero Academy Awards. Uh, that is correct. I don't know. Actually, I, I, I think it was nominated for all of them. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> Every one of them. <laughs> and then Golden Globes, probably zero. Tony's. Swept the Tony's that year, which yeah. was crazy. Like, yeah, it was wild. It's got an for ego. Good for that. Very little music. I mean, really. I'm... <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to hand it five awards right now, but I'm not sure which awards it's going to get. It's up to you guys. We're going to first start with the award called Brave Little Hoster. Who was the bravest host? And I mean, like, your options are Peter Vincent, me. You know, th- th- you have so many options. Uh, Tompkins, you're first. Brave Little Hoster. Well, I happen to know a host who picked a very scary movie when he didn't have to. 
and who had a guest who we've never had on before and who really knows his shit. And, and as a host, I think that's tough. So I, of course, have to nominate my good friend Ryan for the Brave Little Hoster Award. <laughs> this is – I did not expect that. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, so uh, just me in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Um, this is like such a not- – wow, that's so sweet, you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's really nice. But also that makes me the scary vampire, which I'm comfortable with. Um, <laughs> I would say, I, I, look, this is like not even the right answer, but I keep thinking Elvira because I just wish that like Vincent Price's character was actually Elvira. That would have been so fucking awesome because she is she is constantly just putting out sexuality and and owning who she is, and so she's she's bravery is a part of who she is. Tompkins. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Your next one is, uh, I was shocked to see this uh, award on the memo because, believe it or not, I had never seen Fright Night before, and I did not know the legend of Evil Ed. This guy <laughs> is. He puts his thumbprint on a movie on a, in a way that like I did not expect for like an 80s sidekick. Guys, what is, and Sam, we're going to start with you, what is your evilest, eddiest moment? I think that uh, when he found that Raggedy Ann wig somehow <laughs> and, and thought that it would be a convincing double for his mother. <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a pretty fantastic uh, bundle of yarn. That's pretty good. Why would he think that was his mom, <laughs> Tompkins? There's no way. There's no world that anybody would think that. <laughs> Tompkins, where are we going? Um, the 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 logic that I'm operating under here is that anything um, Evil Ed has done before he turns is going to be more evil than anything he has done after. Because afterwards, he is under the sway of a vampire. And I would argue less responsible for his own actions. Uh, And so my evilest, eddiest moment is when he fakes getting attacked in the alleyway just before he gets attacked. Because, my God, do I hate when people do that. They are weaponizing my own empathy against me. (laughs) That's good hate when people are like oh i'm injured and then they do whatever stupid thing it is the most evil thing you can do and he did it so a couple things here mm-hmm. uh one sam uh, i thought yours was great like uh he just took uh he found a red mop took the thing off and put it on his head and everybody believed it uh second thing Tompkins is specifically talking about me right now and how much he hates everything i do to him. <laughs> I also, I will say that unlike Sam, I don't think that having red hair makes you more evil, which I believe is the implication. Sam. (laughs) That's definitely Sam. All right, so Tom Holland, non-Spider-Man Tom Holland. Have you guys ever seen another Tom Holland movie before? Yeah, Chucky. Yeah. Or Child's Play. Yeah, I saw Child's Play once forever ago. But was that directing or just screenplay? Well, that's directing. Okay, so he's a famous guy with a lot of movies, but what do you think was the one, like, perfect Tom Holland move? Tompkins, we're starting with you. Uh, We talked about it a bunch already, but I think that the the window peeping scene is so good. It's so 80s. It has so much crammed into it. Um, It's just well shot. It has some practical effects going on. It's, like, well acted. There's text. There's subtext. And that soundtrack, that like '80s guitar riffing over the top of it, is so delicious. 
<laughs> Sam, what do, we, what, what, do, what do we think? I was originally going to talk about like thinking long nails are scary because that's the signature for this. But if we're looking at all <laughs> of it, I would say that it's um, like it's nailing the cool mom. Like he just <laughs> the, the casual way that she offers a Valium to her son is like both. She's both like mom and like, oh, OK, mom. <laughs> and he rides that line in, ch- in Child's Play, too. Let, yeah, let's not just say that, like, this gave birth to Stream. This gave birth to Amy Poehler in Mean Girls. Like, <laughs> this mom is absolutely, like, uh, you can drink here. I'm a cool mom. Uh, but, yeah, Tompkins, the way the camera moves with Charlie's eyeline in that window scene is absolutely Tompkins. it. Uh, next one is cringiest moment. This could be taken a couple ways because it's a horror movie. What made you cringe because you were scared? Or cringe, because it's 2020, and we watched this movie. Uh, Topkin, starting with you. Uh, all I ever hear is no, uh, right at the beginning, was hard on the years. <laughs> that was that was tough. We've been dating for a year, and all I ever hear is no, as he is like, yeah, that was like ooh, uh, Biff Tannen and the end of Back to the Future <laughs> levels uh, there. And it makes it hard to, uh, yeah, it's 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 like, oh, I have to root for this guy now. I guess root okay. for the person, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that 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 takes the cake for me. <laughs> it, it's a one-two punch because he's like, uh, "Fuck you, uh, we've been going out for a long time, and you're not going to have sex with me." And then she's like, "Oh, maybe I should." And then he's like, "Get out of here! I'm going to look out the window." <laughs> like, that's that's a lot of damage right there. Yeah. Sam, what do we think? Cringiest moment. So for me. As, as much of Evil Ed's transformation that, that worked, it's that dead glass eye on the other side for no reason. Like, it's not like it's some wonky eye, but they had his makeup covered in it. And it just, it, they, they tried to put it in the shadow. And I'm like, no, it just, it feels like, like 1930s hunchback stuff. Like, it just doesn't work. That never works. Well, on purpose? Is it a throwback to 1930s movies? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was, there's, well, I hope not. Uh, but if it were, then I would say cringiest moment is when Jerry puts his hand up that teenage girl's skirt on the dance floor. My God, how old is she? And he's like 400. Yeah. Oh, I... Also, it feels God, like the, the director really gets like forgets. I, I think that that moment made it into its script being like, no, this is like the vampire is bad, you know. Um, he's seducing a much younger woman. Uh, but then, like, the way the camera is operating is not, like, it's, it's like, really gets sucked up into the moment. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we just did The Breakfast Club, because we're doing 85, and Bender full-on, like, throws his hand up Molly Ringwald's skirt, and it's oh, played shit. for laughs. Just, yeah. like, in the mid-'80s, isn't this a funny prank? It's like, whoopee cushion, hand up the skirt. I don't know. It's all the same, right? <laughs> yep. Same. <laughs> That's a skirt. All right. Sam, last one. Pound for pound. Performance of the movie. You've got one acting Oscar. Who you're going to give it to? If it didn't go to Stephen Jeffries, a fucking criminal. Because (laughs) every line that he gives you just sticks like a piece of spaghetti that's done on a wall. And I think that he also, speaking of pound for pound, had an illustrious career in gay porn. Yes, he did. So that followed Fright Night. So we got to give it to him. It all started here. <laughs> we did. Did we make it through a, like a twenty-minute segment about uh, like how gay Fright Night is without mentioning that this guy went on to gay porn? 
<laughs> uh, we and, did. And this is this is a performance that I've never seen before because weird sidekicks in movies act like weird sidekicks. But this guy acts like the weird people you knew in your real life. Like the laughing and the interrupting. <laughs> like I've never seen a performance like this. Tompkins, what do you got? Um I I I will throw in Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge in this. He he is he has such immaculate screen presence and it's just crazy to me that how throughout this movie he has to be evil and seductive in a way like by the time um that he seduces um uh Amy like it really does feel like if I was in the room and Jerry Dandridge looked me in the eye and refused to make contact, that's it. I have no ch- like <laughs> he, he wins. Uh, I think I think it's a very impressive performance. Um, he, he's I, like I love those- Evil Ed in this movie. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna give it to Tompkins because Tompkins. Chris Sarandon walks into this like fucking Alec Guinness on Star Wars, and he's like, "What is this? Bu- what is this bullshit?" I'm still gonna try, I guess. Sure, I'll still fucking knock it out of the park, but I think this is all bullshit. But I'll still do good. Uh, so your winners are your uh, brave little hoster is is me. Thanks, guys. Uh, your evilest dead moment is putting a uh, red mop on your head and saying, "I'm somebody's mother." Uh, your director's signature moment is the camera during the window. Uh, your cringiest moment is, hey, here's a hand, here's a skirt. And your pound-for-pound uh, pound performance is Chris Sarandon. When we come back, I'm going to uh, total up all of the points, and we're going to see if we think that Fright Night can take this whole thing down. So, Sam, let's go through the uh, horror movies that Tompkins and I have done so far. Uh, we have done House. How do you feel about House? Ooh, the the one from the 70s? Oh, or the no. like the House, like, got the 85, like, with the hand that rings the doorbell, even though that never happens in the movie. <laughs> I wish it did, though, right? It's such a cool poster. It's such a good poster. <laughs> it's so good it's they so... did it twice, because the second one's pretty much that. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, it, I, it's not my fave, but I enjoy okay. it. Uh, we did Day of the Dead. Uh, I like Dawn of the Dead better, but I love Day of the Dead. We have done Nightmare, uh, no, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. Send it back. <laughs> no. No. And then but, we have done Fright Night. Tompkins, where do you think that Fright Night is going to, how, like, do you think it's going to do well? Do you think it's, like, a quality movie? Yeah, right now, I mean, I, I I do currently put it a little bit below Day of the Dead, but I could see with, like, a little bit more time, I could see it growing on me and actually, like, even overtaking it based on, on what we have so far. Like, I, I still think Day of the Dead is the favorite, but I wouldn't I wouldn't count out Fright Night. I, I think it's doing some really... And it's just, like, like, like you were saying, Sam, like, it, there's some great just, like, 80s nostalgia here. Which Day of the Dead really doesn't have. Yeah, Wait. it really wants to kick that nostalgia out of your brain. Like Day yeah. of the Dead it has no time for that. It's like we're gonna punish you if you ever think that you're gonna relax and watch a fun horror movie. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Uh, well, Sam, while I have you on here, um, I want to talk about a couple more things. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street too. <sighs> so what about <laughs> it? <laughs> Is it gonna win? 
I think, I mean, it could. Because here's the thing. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and by the way, this is not even in, like, the doc. But in the UK, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 came out before Nightmare on Elm Street 1, which is why they call American school buses Freddy buses. So, um, (laughs) in the UK, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was the first one, which is why it's so much more successful overseas. Where here, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the one that doesn't really follow the rules. Um, If you can Hmm. get down with... Like, if you can have a good time with a bad movie, then you will definitely enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, Phenomenon? Ooh, the bug one. Does that ring? Not John Travolta. (laughs) That would be awesome, though, to throw that in. Yes, do that one instead. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And then a quick swap out. Reanimator. I've never seen that movie. Uh, Oh, and Barbara Legendary movie. Yeah. Yeah, that a good one. She doesn't age, by the way. Uh, just <laughs> incredible. Uh, Reanimator, not for me, but people fucking love it. So, all right, guys, let's get to the scores. Uh, I scored thirteen points, which I'm gonna say is a record for a host. I uh, so I appreciate you guys uh, quietly not clapping. Uh, that's that's <laughs> super good of you. Um, and then comes Tompkins with 26, twice as many points as I got. Wow. Uh, and then Sam, oh, God. Sam, can you help me out dealing with Tompkins after the show? <laughs> <laughs> you got 36 points. You beat Tompkins by 10. So congratulations to Sam is what we're supposed to be thinking about, not I'm Tompkins' my uh, tantrum. <laughs> but uh, congratulations, Sam. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me on. And thank you so much for coming to the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, yeah, actually. So uh, that documentary I'm directing, we're doing a Comic-Con panel that's going to air. Um, I mean, it'll be uh, online through Comic-Con at home. So, And it's free. And you can hear us talk about queer horror uh, for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Tompkins, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Me neither. Uh, throughout the show, we've been plugging <laughs> stuff. So I'm just going to wrap this up, uh, and I'm going to hold Tompkins to my chest as hard as I can. Um, guys, please tune in next week when, and this is quite the reveal, one, Taylor Wilhite will be on the show to help us discuss <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Until then, keep watching those horror movies.